0: What's up, everybody? Anthony Cazenza coming at you with the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast and on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel coming at you live on the show a little bit earlier time. We've had a little bit of uh, some scheduling things come up, but we're, we're coming at you a little earlier than usual, at least for the live viewers. And I thank John for moving his schedule around. John Sheeran joining me as usual. We've had another, uh, another good week on the show, man. So um, how are you? How are you?
1: Another fantastic week I would say. I'm I'm doing well. I hope you
0: are doing well. How how is the arm for for everyone at home? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Still braced up, still I actually just came from from physical therapy a little bit ago. So, um a little bit of a harder session today for me, but we're getting there, John. We're getting there. We're going to get movement, we're going to get strength. We're getting it back, my friend. I appreciate you asking. It's uh it's not been fun. Not been fun. A lot to talk about tonight on our show, which will be more fun than discussing my arm injury, as, <laughs> as, as uh, I think it would be more fun to discuss it, at least. We've got a recap of the Week 1 win. The Bengals got a win in Week 1 on the road, beating the Super Bowl champs on their home turf. We're going to talk a little bit about that, some takeaways, who impressed, who didn't. And we're going to do a little Believe It or Not. We did that segment a couple of weeks ago, so we've, we'll have we take some storylines and or narratives maybe some reaches, and uh, talk about some, some topics that we uh, believe or maybe not believe based on what we saw after one preseason game. And then we will have a breakout player for you. We will preview a position group. We'll continue that one. And then, of course, we'll talk a tiny bit about the Week 2 game and get on out of here. So that's what's on tap. Before we get to that, I want to encourage folks to... Get the show how you can, whether that's on your favorite audio streamer, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, any of those. We're on all of the major ones. Make sure you subscribe to the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel and be notified when we go live, be notified when we have new material for you. And then, of course, that the same notifications can be found by subscribing and clicking the bell on our YouTube channel. So please do that. John, uh, I I took the air really late. Uh, it was late for me, but really late for some of the live viewers when <laughs> on Saturday night, uh, I was pretty tired and um, game pass was a little wonky for me. I tried to power through an entire Bengals game and, and see what I could see from, from my vantage point as I relayed some things. And then the dust settled a couple days later. I think I had a, a, some different takeaways, different vantage points of some things, but Um, Let's kind of talk about your thoughts, your opinions of what we saw in week one against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as the Bengals went in there down south and beat the Super Bowl champs. As far as week one of of preseason,
1: it was pretty damn solid, I I think, um, for not having the starting quarterback out there, for having the starting offense and defense for a combined, I guess, two drives, one drive each, and I believe the first team only had like a handful of plays out there or on offense. So having quarterbacks, Brandon Allen for one half and then Kyle Shermer for another half, still being able to put up 19 points against a defense that was top of the league last year. And I know that most of that defense didn't play for most of the game, but you know, it's still the Buccaneers and it's still one of the best rosters in the NFL. So presumably the depth of said roster is pretty solid and they just played with them for the entirety of the game. It was weird at times, seeing some of the calls kind of go the other way in favor of the Bengals instead of the home team defending Super Bowl champions at times. But I think some of that kind of may have impacted how some of the drives ended up and gave the Bengals a couple extra points on there. But that's kind of how that goes, you know. Sometimes the pendulum sw- swings the other way, and re- refereeing and the preseason preseason is always questionable. They're always experimenting uh, with, with some of the calls and whatnot. So that was. I guess sort of a minor kind of um, topic like during the game that we were thinking about, but man, like some of these players that kind of stepped up that we didn't really talk about, I guess, going into the game or really for much of the off season. It it really surprised me for how well some of these guys played. And that's really what I think we missed about the preseason last year. You know, we hadn't watched one of these games since 2019, the last preseason game Bengals fans saw it featured Jake Dolagala throwing for like 300 yards against the Colts at home. It was right. like um there was like some receivers. There was Damian, Damian Willis out there. There was another receiver whose name escapes me that like there was, you know, it, that, that's like the traditional, you know, preseason hype. Some of these younger guys, bottom of the roster guys fighting for their futures, their livelihood in the NFL, and they're making plays against other backups. And that is kind of what we lost last year when there wasn't a preseason. But to see some of these rookies, some of these unheralded stories, some of these guys that, again, we haven't really discussed or talked about that much because either they weren't doing that much in training camp and the practices or they just kind of flew under the radar, but they're not under the radar anymore. They are very much here to stay, and they were some of the biggest topics on on Saturday.
0: There were – so when I looked at the stats and I saw some plays, and, you know, when I was watching the game, I kind of was like, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of big, nice runs. Some of them came very late. Um, there you know other times they were having a little trouble getting pushed, but as you started to kind of dive a little further into things, the offensive line play was a little bit better than than I think expected and better than maybe at least for me when I looked at it watching the game live. Um, I, I feel like now looking at some of the PFF scores and going back and seeing some things, there were some good things on tape from uh, some young guys, some guys that have a lot to prove on that offensive line. There were some good runs by running backs that, uh, yeah, they were late in the game, and they were against guys that may not be on NFL rosters, but they were able to make some plays. You saw the versatility of a guy like Chris Evans. Um, you know, there were some nice catches. Jamar Chase got involved early. So, I mean, there was a lot of things to take away as positive. There was some sloppiness. I mean, 19 to 14 is a pretty butt-ugly score in general in football. But, uh, I mean, there's there were a lot of things that you can – kind of say you know for a week one preseason game and to your point not having a preseason last year going in beating the Super Bowl champs on their home field and kind of seeing some of the things that we saw was pretty was pretty nice we're showing if you're watching the video we're showing the box score courtesy of ESPN of this game you see Kyle Shermer 12 of 1908 yards one interception Um, You see Brandon Allen, 7 of 10, 77 yards, one interception. I believe the the, the interception with Brandon Allen there um, was the one that he (laughs) threw over to Mike Thomas, and it was a pretty poor throw, um, and the defender got his hand on it. Originally, when I first kind of saw it, I I had only seen the play a couple times. It looked like maybe Mike Thomas had a problem fighting for the ball, but it was not really that. It was actually more of a poor throw. The defensive back got in there, got his hand on it, and then Mike Thomas made a really high-effort play to get the ball back for the team, so – kind of a wacky one there. And then you look down here, you see 71 yards by Jaquez Patrick. The 24 yarder came late in the game. Chris Evans had, I mean, he had the 2.1 yards per carry. So he had a little bit of issues getting uh, things going there, but he did help out in the past game. Uh, and then P Ryan had a rough night, three carries, five yards. So, I mean, there's some, there's definitely some areas for improvement. You see Trent and Irwin, we'll talk about him in just a little bit. Um, three catches, 35 yards. Evans had the 33 yards on four catches. So, there are a lot of guys that seem to be ready to be involved in this offense. And um, a lot of the starters, Higgins, um, Boyd, even the rookie Chase, look like they're just ready to go uh, from week one in the preseason. You got to like all of that. And then as we go down to defense, um, what, what what did you see on defense, aside from Joseph Osai and some not great news, but better than expected news, I guess, um, from from his play uh in that game. And then you've got um, you know, a number of others. Darius Hodge had a great game and and other new faces coming in there and playing well on the defensive side of the ball, John.
1: I honestly think that was the story. Like Osai is obviously the headline of the overall performance and, and the win for how outstanding he was in his first NFL game. It was weird initially seeing Darius Hodge out there as a guy that we just haven't heard of at all during training camp. Um he was he was literally arrested back in July for an assault charge from like tw- 2019. He he was right. a he was a play, he was played for Marshall. He grew up, I believe, in uh, somewhere in, in North Carolina. And I guess in 2019 he was home in North Carolina, and there was an assault charge for him two years ago. And he was finally arrested for that charge. I guess literally on July 4th of this year. So I I remember writing about that for the site. Mm-hmm. Said, oh, that that sucks. He's an undrafted guy. He's now dealing with this, he's probably not going to make the team. We don't hear about him at all during training camp. And there's like five minutes into the game. It's like the, the first drive for the, for the Bengals defense. And he's out there on like third down, like, Oh my God, he, he's, he's, he's not only playing the game, but he's playing with the starters. or so like the second team, like pass rushing unit. And then he goes on to have like five quarterback hits, two sacks, including a sack that essentially ended the game. It was like a shoestring sack on rookie quarterback, Kyle Trask, that, Gave the Bengals the ball back. They kicked in the field goal. Got up by five. Basically all but end of the game. It was out of nowhere. I I didn't know that he was still involved in the plans. I didn't know he was this high up in the depth chart. And I mean, that's literally what the preseason is about though. Like he's not going to get those opportunities really in, in training camp. There's no mock game where he can kind of make that impression. It's going up against another team's offensive line. And it's it's opportunities like that, that he has to take advantage of if he wants to make the team. And, he certainly did. And I guess he kind of got more snaps because of Joseph Osai's injury that happened on a play where both Osai and Hodge basically met at, I, I want to say that was Trask back there for the Buccaneers, the quarterback, but they met back there in the backfield and unfortunately Asai's wrist kind of got hit in the wrong way. But I, I think that is also like a talking point that kind of started with, uh, with Osai. He played fantastic. Like there's no way to, you know, maneuver around that point. He was Fantastic as a pass rusher. He was winning in a multitude of ways, and he was honestly even better as a run defender. I believe he was PFF's highest-graded run defender for the Bengals. He had like three defensive stops to his name. So he was going 110% for two and a half quarters and was playing into the third quarter. And I believe Zach Taylor said the plan was for him and Cam Sample, who, to his credit, had a really good game as well. The plan was to to have both of those guys play the entirety of the game, which makes sense. They're both third Fourth round picks respectively. They're gonna be, you know, rotational guys when in the regular season when they make the team. They need all the reps they can have. Joseph Osai, I think, has literally twelve games on his resume as a true edge rusher. He's twenty-one years old. He came in here raw. Like that was the the main thing with him. He's hustle, he's athleticism, but he doesn't really know what he's doing yet. And he needs all the reps possible. And he was going to get all the reps possible. But as the game went on, there was this thinking of Osai is playing fantastic. Is it wise for them to take him out of the game at this point to prevent injury? And they left him back, and the, they left him in there. He unfortunately did something to his wrist. We don't know when he's coming back. But I guess my whole thing was that, yeah, you leave him in there because he needs the reps. You don't worry about a guy who is not a starter who is not going to play, you know, well over fifty percent of your defensive snaps. You're not worried about that guy getting injured, especially if he's young and if he needs the reps. To me, it was just more of an unfortunate thing that if you're trying to discuss it, you're only basically using it in hindsight. And I understand that there is a role for him to carve out and for him to be really important in the defense. But at the end of the day, that's his first game out there. And regardless of how great he was, he still really needed his reps. And To me, it was just kind of an unfortunate thing that that may have just happened. But I don't really know how you can look at that and say, yeah, he should have been out of the game earlier. Again, third-round pick, a a guy who's a rotational guy right now, and he
0: needs those reps. And it's unfortunate he's going to miss some of these reps in the next couple weeks now. It does sound, based on reports, that it's not an overly serious wrist injury. Uh, maybe there's a – I mean, I don't want to speculate, but maybe there's a hairline fracture or some sort of issue there. But it sounds like he's going to be ready for week one in some capacity. We don't know uh, how how big of one. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think we'll see him again this preseason, which is one of those double-edged swords. It's nice, so you can heal up and be ready for when the games count. But it's also would be nice for a guy that is – viewed as, you know, even as explosive and great as he looked, you know, he still is looked at it as a guy that um, needs a little work, needs reps and, and needs to fine tune some things. That's why he fell to the third round. But man, the sky looks to be the limit for that kid. And, um, you know, I, I really liked what I saw from him. Hodge played very well. And really, some other pe- folks have said it here, the defensive line in general played well. Hendrickson was in on the sack with Osai at the beginning of the game. Uh, Mike Daniels had some nice plays uh, later in the game. DJ Reader had a pressure early in the game and had a high PFF grade on just a handful of snaps. So, uh, you know, you, you got to you gotta like what, what we're seeing from the defensive line, which has really been kind of, a, you know, something that has been – I guess a little bit of a weakness for the team, particularly last year with all the injuries.
1: hundred percent. It's been a weakness for the last couple of years. And part of that was because they just haven't had enough competent bodies out there because of injuries. But now you're looking at a post Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap reality where you have new leaders in there. You have a lot of investment, a lot of money in there. You have multiple free agents and draft picks over the last couple of years it really does feel like this is the culmination of all of the work that Inarumo in the front office has done to reshape and rebuild that entire unit. And it it was great to see O'Sai kind of like spearheading the effort and the production there, but it definitely wasn't just him. It was obviously Hodge. There was, I think Camp Sample had four total pressures, including a sack on the very last play. DJ Reader, he only played like four snaps, but one of them was a pressure that I think he hit Tom Brady right after Uh, Brady threw a deep incompletion down the left sideline. He got in there. His first game back since last October. Sam Hubbard played you know, a handful of snaps, but he's out there. Trey Hendrickson had half a sack on – he was the one who sacked uh, Brady along with Osai, and there was a lot of permutations and combinations of pass rushing groupings that we saw out there. I think on the first third down, you had Sample and Hubbard lined up inside with Hendrickson and Osai on the outside. I think if Osai is healthy – for week one or early in the early in the regular season that's the grouping that you're probably going to see on second and longs and, and third downs in general so it was nice to get a glimpse into what their plans are now it was also interesting to me at least josh tupo got the start for larry ogunjobi who wasn't going to play because he just returned to the practice field a few days prior so he was starting next to G- to dj reader at defensive tackle which allowed tyler shelvin the rookie at lsu to kind of come in behind reader and be the, the second team those uh, tackles, so that kind of gives us an idea of where they are with the defensive tackle rotation kind of tells us that Tupou is essentially a lock to make this roster if he's battling or if he was battling with Rennell Wren so that gives us a glimpse of that Mike Daniels played I think well into the second unit and they also had a bunch of different groupings with three defensive tackles so you had Reader and Tupou and Daniels out there and then you had Shelvin and I, th- I believe like Renell Wren, Freedom, Kim Mullen, uh behind them so we got a, a good glimpse of what the rotation is the defensive line. But a lot of these guys are healthy, and they honestly do look a lot better in this new scheme. So early returns
0: on Inarumo's vision for the pass rush, nothing but positive so far. And a lot of size in that combination between DJ Reader and Josh Tupo uh, lining up there. I mean, that's just it's a lot of size. So, um, yeah, I, and before we get to our Believe It or Not on in on some of these storylines and narratives coming from this game, we would be remiss if we didn't even mention the special teams units, John. On punt returns here, you, uh, excuse me, on kick returns, uh, Phillips had a 40 yard return, a nice 40 yard return. Trent Taylor, two returns for 38 total yards. Not a great night for him there, but punt returns, Irwin had a nice, he had just a nice night. The three catches for 30 plus yards I mentioned earlier, a 13 yard punt return. Taylor did have a nine yard punt return. Phillips only a two yard return. Um, but then the kicking, right? The kicking game is looking strong. Uh, Bengals kickers were four of four. McPherson, the rookie, and Austin Seibert, uh, two of two apiece. And, you know, hitting hitting them into the high 30s. And you see there, Evan McPherson is long, was a 40 yarder. Uh, and, and then you've got an extra point from Austin Seibert there. So 13 total points and a perfect night. From the kickers, John, Uh, you know, uh, Kevin Huber, you see there, 47.3 yard average on his punts. One one of them was a 58 yarder. So things are looking pretty strong on the special teams unit, too.
1: Evan McPherson's first kick, I believe, like cleared the net from 40 out, which is bonkers. I I, I don't know if (laughs) it it feels it's it's such like a rookie thing to do in my mind. Like he's obviously nervous. It's his first. Kicking an NFL game, he just wants to boom it because he's got the leg power. And I, I don't know. I feel like that—that's not normally what happens, even with kickers who have notoriously strong legs. Like Matt Prater out is not always clearing the net from like 42 because he, he's trying to be accurate more than powerful. He knows he has enough leg. I feel like that was just McPherson's nerves kind of getting to him. So like, I'm just gonna boom this and, and see where right, it goes. Right. But it was right down the middle and it cleared the net by like 10 feet. So it probably would have been good from. 80 or something like that. So that was fun to see, you know, you know, it's, it's fun to see this battle kind of go the opposite way of what the battle from four years ago went. And, you know, credit to Cybert, he's doing all he can to, to, you know, at least look good. But right now it kind of feels like he's filling out his resume for his next employer, but also just on the subject of preseason shenanigans, we, we mentioned earlier, the, 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 Mike Thomas forced fumble, I guess in quotation marks, that was like the first of three or four wacky turnovers in this game. There were a handful of like weird fumbles on on the Bengals side. I believe Thomas fumbled. Uh, I mean, there was that fumble for Thomas on like uh like in the red zone on the drive after that or whatever. But it was that weird phantom force fumble from the Buccaneers defender who who got got Brandon Allen's interception. And then there were two <laughs> interceptions for the Bengals defense, both caused by backups. Lock cornerback Jalen Davis, who probably has a lock to make. The roster as the sixth cornerback now, both tipped up in the air. First one was hauled in by I believe Kayvon Frazier, and the second one was hauled in by Trayvon Henderson. It was like this is the epitome of preseason. You know, balls flying everywhere. <laughs> seven in this game, honestly, made me realize how much I missed the preseason and some of these shenanigans that
0: happen with these backups. One other thing that we just didn't mention: where were those cornerbacks and uh, Bengals defensive backs? I believe had six passes defended, two interceptions. So, uh, I mean, I know this that wasn't against Brady, but, um, you know, hey, they're, they're making plays back there. And all of this is revamped under Luana Rumo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, we are going to um, get to another segment. Obviously, there's a lot of talking points now based on what we've seen from this game what we think we know after just one game there's a lot of there's a lot of chatter there's a lot of um i don't know potential storylines i guess that we could we could talk about so let's have some fun we've done this once we got a pretty good response from our listeners we're going to do it again this is a segment called believe it or not and let's get to it So if, if you missed it the first time, what we are going to do, we're going to kind of give some storylines. I've got some. I think John's got some as well. We'll kind of ask each other a little bit of some of these narratives and storylines that either fans have come up with based on what we saw, writers, or some of the just in, in general observations with the team, particularly what we saw in week one. So John... Here's here's something I want to start with because everybody's talking about the offensive line. A lot of people believe that I was a little too harsh on them at first reaction uh, in the post-game show. So let's talk a little Deontay Smith. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Jake Liskow from Locked on Bengals came on our listener questions live, and we had a fun chat with him. This guy is one of Jake's favorite players in the Bengals 21 draft class. He was one of mine as well, just because I think there's a, a bright future, but I think we all thought this guy has a, a, a big, somewhat big hill to climb to be a, a viable NFL starter. We're maybe looking at 22, maybe 23 where he takes over as the right tackle. All of a sudden he's playing well at guard. He got second team reps. He got starter reps this week in practice. And there was a big, blown block at left tackle by him that caused a fumble on a run play but otherwise he had a solid pff score in this game so i guess believe it or not john do you think that deontay smith is ready to start or will start at some point this year on the Bengals' offensive line
1: i think if he starts it'll be because of injury i'm not ready to say he's going to be out there week one at one of the guard spots i think He's playing himself into being the first guard off the bench, definitely playing himself to be active on game days. But I think if he does end up starting, it'll be because someone in front of him stinks or someone in front of him is injured. Um, It's just the whole thing is weird to me. He has a terrible practice at right tackle. He's beaten by a drum by (laughs) Sam Hubbard for like 40 minutes or something. And they basically say, all right, you're done. You're moving inside the guard, not just guard, but left guard. I mean, you know, spot that presumably is held down by Quinn Spain, who is projected to start. So he's just a backup. He's you know second or third team, whatever left guard does well in practice at that new spot. He basically is, I guess, promoted to second team left guard. Now he's out there in the preseason and with the second team, and he's playing like the best offensive lineman on on the field. Now, granted, it's the Bengals' second team offensive line, so your competition's not too fierce. But again production's production. Quality tape is quality tape. He's done everything right basically this entire offseason. He has a couple bad practices at tackle, and then they basically transform him to guard. So I I can't really explain it. It's not something that either of us could, it's not something that any one of us could have predicted. I think it just kind of happened to be what it was when he arrived in camp at whatever weight that he is now, and he's just playing like a guy who committed this offseason to basically reshaping, getting back up to a strong and sturdy playing weight, but all the tools, all the size, all the athleticism that you could possibly want for an offensive lineman that could play at any position, I just don't know if they're going to trust him, at the very least, early on this the season to play significant snaps, but unfortunately, injuries happen with with this Bengals team, with this staff. Unfortunately, a lot of shakeups along the offensive line happen. So I'm definitely not counting him out to play sometime this year, but I think it's still a little bit too early to say this guy's going to be a starter year one.
0: Yeah. I don't, I don't know that he's going to win a starting job, um, especially in, you know, after one preseason game or two or three preseason games, even if he continues to play well, practice well, the good news is he's showing improvement. The other good news is he's playing in a lot of different spots and showing some good things, at those different spots I always just was like hey this is the right tackle the future groom that guy to take over for Riley Reef, whether that's next year or the year after I didn't really think guard was in the in the works for him because he has that nice arm length some of the you know the longer one of the longer arms in the draft he's got the athleticism that you would look for as a project tackle but he's a guy that they feel could play guard and he's he's doing it pretty well he's kind of a guy that I really liked a long time ago if you want to kind of harken back a little bit um i remember a guy anthony collins on the on the Bengals, who who played both tackle spots tried him at guard a little bit it was kind of iffy at guard but a guy that just had a lot of athleticism and a lot of skill um and, and they, they he was able to play some spots start some games for him i think this kid has more upside and can do some more things even in this short period of time i'm excited about him i don't think he's going to start right away. I think if, like you said, it may, may force an injury, maybe some inefficient play at one of these spots that forces him to come in and start. But um, you know, I, I, I like what I've seen so far and just going back to the PFF grade 84.8 pass blocking grade, John, in this, in this game uh, with uh, 16 snaps and pass protection. So, um, you know, a limited sample size granted, and there was the one big gaff at left tackle uh, in the run, the run, game miss uh the run block that he missed but um I like what I saw I like what I saw from him for sure
1: and just real quick like this question would be easier to answer I think if he was playing right guard if he was in that battle it, it's just weird how he looks like far and away their best interior offensive lineman right now including like everyone at center right now because we haven't seen Trey Hopkins it would be easier to like make a declaration that he is going to eventually start if he was dealing with the, the guys at right guard who are struggling right now, but he's not for some reason. They put him at left guard, and again, like they, they, we have to assume that there's a level of confidence that Quinn Spain is going to be fine, and he's going to start. That's That's the position that Spain himself has said he's most comfortable at, so you're putting this guy that has a decent amount of promise, and he's definitely proving that. Behind him, so there's not a lot of room for him to grow, at least at that spot. If he was a right guard with everyone else, like you would have to say that he definitely has the advantage over these guys yeah. who just aren't necessarily taking advantage of, the, of their opportunity, aside from a guy in Mike Jordan who we still don't know for sure has really taken that next step.
0: Right guard still the biggest question mark on this team at this point in time. Obviously, some things to sort out at center with, with Trey Hopkins and whatnot, too. But, um, yeah, uh, some question marks there. Do you want me to keep peppering you with some questions, or you got one for me? What what do, what do you want here? I'll throw it back to you, man. I'll right. throw it back to you. Okay. So, let's, let's – hmm, I'm debating if I want to keep let, – let's keep it on the offensive line. Let's keep it on the offensive line, okay? So, the other talking point is Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan was out there, and there were, you know, a little bit of ups and downs, but for him, a pretty clean game. Zero sacks across the board for the offensive line. I believe Mike Jordan had allowed zero pressures in the game, if I, if I remember correctly. And he was just behind Deontay Smith in terms of PFF score with a pass blocking grade of 80. If you remember Mike Jordan, yes, he struggled in the run game too, but his pass blocking has been something that has left a lot to be desired. One game, but we've heard we've heard about his offseason transition. We've heard about all this stuff. Do you believe that Michael Jordan is turning a corner, has turned a corner based on the things he's done now under the coaching of Frank Pollock? Do you think that this, this kid's going to turn a corner and actually be a viable starter for this team?
1: You know how like Tom Cruise runs in action movies? He's like really long strides. So like when he when he like makes a 90-degree turn, it takes like forever to do because he's kind of running really uptight. Michael Jordan is like a few steps into that elongated Tom Cruise turn. He is, in fact, I think, turning a corner, but it's so damn early to think that he's actually making sustainable progress that will last over the course of not only an entire season, but I guess even an entire month we've heard all good things about everything that he's done this off season. And I'm willing to believe that a lot of that has weight. It still remains to be seen. And I, and I think that their, their actions or inactions in terms of committing him to be a starter, it kind of says something along those lines. Like even today on Wednesday, like it was Xavier Suafilo taking the starting reps at right guard over, over him. So, They're not yet committed to him you know, taking this competition by the reins and kind of running with it. They're still giving other guys a chance. I think at at the very least, they're still holding out a glimpse of hope for Jackson Carmen to kind of beat him out. But so far, he has done everything that you could possibly want from him based off where he was when we last saw him. I think he's taken everything that's happened in the last nine months extremely personal, right to the heart. At the end of the day, this is a fourth-round pick who's in the third year of his contract. He's unfortunately very expendable he just happens to have this inherent value because they need as many bodies along the offense line as possible but from the very beginning he was always this moldable athletic ball of clay that unfortunately was coached for two years by one of the worst position coaches in NFL history and now he has one of the best offensive line coaches in the game today who seems to have an impression or have made an impression on essentially every offensive lineman in that room and I suppose there has been some progress in that regard with Jordan as well. Is he making progress? Yes. Has he turned a corner yet? I don't know, and I don't think we're going to know until well into the regular season.
0: I I agree with you. I can't I can't disagree with what you said there. But the, to your point, John, this is the year. Mike Jordan was drafted. He was very very young. I think he was just 21, if I remember correctly, when he was drafted. He was very young. He was the youngest player on the roster that year in 2019 when they drafted him. This is the year that he has to do it. And if it's not going to be this year, this experiment is done. And I, I liked the pick when the pick was made because I thought, like you said, that that phrase you, you said about a lot of clay to mold there. And I think there is between his size and athleticism and all that kind of stuff. But the problem is, is it's just not translating on the field, poor coaching, youth. All that kind of stuff, a combination of, of issues ha- have contributed to that. But this is the time now. It's good that we're seeing the things. Where I'm real hesitant here, though, John, is, I mean, he, I think he only had, what, eight snaps in this game. So nice pass block blocking grade. I like it. But on only eight snaps in the game, you got to do this on a more consistent basis. You got to do it against more top level competition. I like what I've seen so far. Not really ready to say, hey, Mike Jordan, the job's yours. Do you want to go next? Do you want me to keep peppering you?
1: Uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll go next. We'll stay okay. on the offensive side of the ball. We'll go beyond the offensive line. We'll go to the receivers' room now. Okay. The leading receiver of Saturday's game, it was not Mike Thomas. It was not Auden Tate. It was not even offseason darling Trent Taylor. It was Trenton Irwin who had maybe one of the biggest highlights on offense catching a ball over the middle and taking the crown of a helmet right to his sternum. I think he even drew a flag on that play. He had three receptions for 35 yards. But beyond Saturday night, he has shown up in basically every training camp practice. It seems like every day Bengals.com or or some uh, beat reporter is posting a video of him at practice beating one-on-one coverage and making an impressive catch for <laughs> for a guy of his appearance mm-hmm. in in the red zone drill. So he looks to be doing everything in his power to make this roster. But on the depth chart, he's still, I guess, technically the third slot receiver. So does Trenton Irwin have a legitimate chance of making this team, or is the battle really over at this point? It's just a matter of if they keep seven, including Irwin.
0: Every year, the Cincinnati Bengals seem to have some undrafted or back-end roster guy that's maybe floated on and off their roster for the better part of a year, two years that ends up doing all kinds of crazy things in a preseason game. And oftentimes it gets them on the roster. Damian Willis started a couple of years ago. I was at the game in Seattle. He started week one and he was a guy that was an undrafted guy that worked his way up because of a great preseason, great practices, and they had faith in him. Now, you mentioned that Irwin was way down the depth chart. Trent Taylor has been kind of the darling through spring and summer. Now, all of a sudden Irwin's making highlight one handed catches in, in practice. He led the team uh, with, with the 30 plus receiving yards. He had the nice punt return, by the way, that's a job that Trent Taylor needs to be able to shine at to, to make the roster. I'm not so sure that Trent Taylor is safe. The, the Bengals just waved two wide receivers, Riley Lees. And I can't remember the other one offhand right now, but they just waved two wide receivers. This this week. So um, along with Pro Wells, the tight end. So they obviously like what they're seeing from from a guy like Irwin. I, I think he's got a legitimate shot to make the roster based up, based on just this game and what we've seen in recent practices, and the fact that the Bengals seem to find these little diamonds in the rough in the preseason that end up shining in these games. So um no these guys didn't have that opportunity last year, and Irwin seems to be taking it and running with it.
1: I do think he essentially now has made the roster. I I don't think that the fact that he's listed as a slot behind two other slots is going to necessarily impact it. He's just making too many plays. And this is a guy who's been on the practice squad since 2019, like late 2019. He, he's only appeared in like maybe one or two games, but you just kind of love those stories. Like uh, Trey Hopkins was a very similar story. Another undrafted guy who battled on the practice squad. Unfortunately, Hopkins had a lot of injury issues, but, just kept practicing, kept grinding, and eventually cracked into the starting lineup and made the team consistently. I think that is not necessarily the path that Irwin's going to go. I don't think he's ever going to be a starter, but I think he's just doing too much positive things to be turned down for some of of these other receivers. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that we can say the same of Travion Williams, which is where we're going to go next. Unfortunately, he was injured, I believe, last Thursday with a hamstring injury. He did not make the trip to Tampa Bay. And that is another nature of the preseason. Some of these guys who are maybe higher on the depth chart, they get injured, they get dinged up. It opens the door for other guys below them to kind of make an impression. And that's certainly what Jacquez Patrick and Chris Evans did in the preseason game on Saturday. And Trayvon Williams could only watch home and it's in Cincinnati and to see potentially his job be turned away. I don't think that Williams, he is not going to play on, on Friday. He, he remains out with a hamstring injury. So this is really the end of the road for the six round.
0: I think uh, there, there are a lot of keys here. The biggest key, John, he was a Jim Turner guy. He he, he played at A&M when Jim Turner was there and Jim Turner vouched for him. They, they took the late round pick on him because Jim Turner felt, that he would jive well with what he was trying to do on the offensive line. I'm sure he pounded the table for him. And the Bengals believe that he could be a back-end guy on that running back group that can help him out. He had, in early parts of practice, he had a couple of nice showings, uh, I think in that scrimmage. Um, that he had a couple of nice plays. Our friend Daddio uh, has some some nice footage of that, a couple nice plays by Travion Williams. But when this staff brings in a Chris Evans drafts, a guy that also has very high-end receiving talent, Apuka Williams, who uh you know made some splashes in practice and whatnot. Um, and then you've got Jaquez Patrick showing off in this game as well. All of a sudden, a guy who was in the previous regime in terms of an offensive line coach and the connection there, that's been severed. I I don't know that there's room for him. I think I think they want to have these versatile guys who can be guys that lined up, line up a slot be guys that can be counted on on a regular basis to to catch footballs out of the backfield and, and also provide that spark in the run game. Um, not saying Travion can't do that, but one of the best abilities you have is availability and he hasn't been av- available and his coach that likely vouched for him when they drafted him is not here.
1: That is an unfortunate aspect for him. Um, still, I think there is some support for him in the building. You know, Zach Taylor is also, somewhat of a Texas A&M guy. So I, I think he has been familiar with him since his college days. And it, it's just the, the guys in front of him, man, like Patrick and Evans, like they can do everything that Williams can do, but um, honestly a little bit better. It was nice to see Williams make some plays in the limited reps that he had, that he had last year. But this truly doesn't, fe- this truly feels like it's a non-personal issue. It's like, it's not, it's not you. It's just the other guys that are unfortunately getting more reps and are making more of an impact. So, you know in, in all likelihood he's a six-round pick that hasn't really done anything two now three years into the league it's very possible that you know they can wave him and pick him back up on the practice squad and keep him around in case some other injuries happen but it, it just feels like that injury came at the worst possible time and Jaguars patrick has kind of been waiting for this opportunity to shine and it really does feel like that fourth running back job is his to lose right now
0: yeah patrick was was a guy that probably would have Enjoyed having a preseason last year because that was how he was going to be able to show off, and unfortunately, just was was not able to do that. So, um, but the good news is the whether it's Williams or these other players, I mean, they, the running back group looks pretty talented, even without Gio Bernard in the mix. There, they look like they've got a, a good stable of of young, athletic, versatile running backs. So, good stuff. We focused on the offense for this for this, believe it or not, segment. Um, And we're going a little long, and we want to get to a couple of other segments. Maybe we'll add in some more defense next time. But a fun, believe it or not, segment there focusing on the offense. A lot of questions there. And we'll undoubtedly keep talking about all kinds of different things, especially after the Bengals take on the Washington football team this week. John, you, sir, have a positional preview that you'd like to spearhead. And what group are we focusing on this week? So we had some talk about Deontay
1: Smith, Michael Jordan, Jackson Carmen a little bit. So why don't we just stick on that page of the playbook and talk about the offensive guards a little bit. Okay, let's do it. So right now, again, it's just a lot of unknowns, I guess. The only known, I suppose, is that Quinton Spain is favored to win the left guard battle. If it, if you can even call it a battle right now. I think it's kind of leading <laughs> that way, like, but... But I, I, at the same time, it just feels like they're just giving Smith a lot of reps and a lot of opportunity to kind of see what he is at this new position. Other than that, no one knows a damn thing. And we've kind of put off talking about the offensive line in general until August and, you know, closer to the season, just in case that they do anything to this position group, in case they added someone off the street, in case injuries happened. Because the, the longer that we took to talk about this, hopefully – the more clear the picture would be. That's why we talked about some of the other less controversial positions, I guess, on the team because we had a greater idea about what it is. We still don't really know what what offense guard is right now. We know the depth chart says Spain is starting. Michael Jordan is technically starting a right guard. Other than that, it's it's a gigantic mystery. And they've said um, repeatedly over the last week or so that this is probably going to last until the beginning of the season and they're going to give everyone a chance. Doesn't really feel like they're giving everyone a chance, though. It just kind of feels like they're giving four guys a chance and they're trying to light a spark under Jackson Carmen's butt right now. And that's unfortunate because he's a second round pick and he was touted to be one of the favorites to win that job, but it just hasn't, I guess, clicked. Now, in, in terms of just looking at this from a draft perspective and ent- exiting the draft, we thought that Carmen was going to get the reps to be the starter, right guard. Deontay Smith was going to be, like you mentioned, just a reserve for now, a guy who's gonna to try to put on weight but then worry about him in 2022 it kind of feels like that's flipped now it kind of feels like carmen is the guy who we don't know who he is yet and he needs to worry about his own personal self and really get his mind right to adapt to nfl life and now deontay smith is out there being a favor to win one of these jobs and he's taken this offseason you know really hard and he's basically worked his butt off to be where he is so it kind of feels like it's just flipped and that's the danger of kind of analyzing the draft right after the draft happens because we don't know as much as we think we know right after it happens. So if that's the way it is, if Deontay Smith is this immediate, I guess, quote unquote, immediate answer at guard, and Carmen just needs a year to figure things out, then I suppose it's just a net wash. But other than that, it seems like they're just relying on some of these old names to, in, in hopes that they perform better under a new offensive line coach. Essentially, if you, if you think about it and talk about it enough, it kind of just makes you wonder, why did they not kind of address this more in free agency? <laughs>
0: And it goes back to our conversation a week ago with the Jesse Bates news. If if you weren't going to be comfortable paying Jesse Bates a large sum of money, I mean, you can't foresee some of these contracts, I guess, if you're an NFL front office. But if you were sitting there in free agency as a Cincinnati Bengals, you know you've got things to fix in the on the offensive line. You know you've got a premier player to pay in Jesse Bates. Um, if it was going to be one or the other, you better have committed one way or the other. Right now, Jesse Bates and the Bengals seem to be at odds in terms of a contract extension by all reports. And the Bengals really don't have a true solution at right guard and some other stopgap solutions at left guard, right tackle, etc. Now, the fascinating thing to me about this position group, by the way, for those checking out the video, we have the guard group up. Uh, The Cincinnati Bengals on their website have alphabetically they have players listed as G for guard. And then there's one player listed as OG and that's uh, Quentin Spain. So he's not in the picture, but he's, he's within the group there. I promise. Unfortunately, just the way that it's categorized there in case you're wondering where's Quentin Spain. Um, the, The fascinating thing to me here, John, in this position group is the whole, and we're not really talking about it a lot, but the whole Trey Hopkins, Billy Price situation Billy Price has stepped in as Trey Hopkins is coming back from that knee injury got some starter reps and done some different things in practice still looking like he has some issues to iron out at center um but you know there's there's a kind of some theories of hey what about Trey Hopkins coming in and playing guard he was a guard for this team as well as a center um they kind of made him a center because he was capable and it was an absolute necessity because Billy Price wasn't working out for the prior years I guess I'm just kind of wondering if there's some sort of scenario where Xavier Sufilo is not inspiring much confidence. Neither is Jackson Carmen; He's not ready. Deontay Smith, they still feel he's rough. They wanted to move him to the right side. We know Fred Johnson was not a good option at offensive guard in his start against Cleveland in week two last year. Is this a situation where we maybe see Trey, Trey Hopkins and Billy Price in some capacity there? I'm not sure if we're quite ready for that. And part of it, I think, is because Trey Hopkins
1: is only practicing. He's not playing right now, but he's practicing at center. It's where he's taking his reps. I know he's a veteran and he's played essentially every position on this offensive yeah. line, whether it's in training camp or preseason. But I just feel like he, he truly did find a home at center, um, you know, under Frank Pollock originally. That's that's That was the first position coach that played him at center and he shined in 2018 when Billy Price was hurt. And then they realized that that is where he should probably stay. And it just kind of sucks that we're even having this conversation. Like they they can't solve this other issue. So they're having to move a good player at this position that he seems to be natural at back to this other position where he clearly didn't last. And like, like he performed decently at right guard. I want to say a few years ago, but he obviously didn't become a long-term solution and they didn't, it didn't seem interested in keeping him at that position going forward beyond like 2016 or 2017. So I do think Hopkins stays at center and then just try to make something work at right guard, but also, you know, we're kind of taking like a pessimistic uh, angle at this because it's a lot of unknowns, but for the most part, or maybe not for the most part, there at least are some positives. Like Jordan did play well against the Buccaneers. We have to give him that. Eight snaps or yeah. not, he did play well in his eight snaps. Like even Jackson Carmen, like the, the guy didn't necessarily like look like the old Michael Jordan out there. He still had some good reps. I know the mm-hmm. first one ended in the holding, but I mean, you would love to see the guy on his first snap bury his defender into into the dirt, get a pancake mm-hmm. on the unofficial box score. Like for them, I, I think Carmen had a handful of, of good reps that you could say this is good this is a good job this is a reflection of natural talent natural strength like the tools are there for carmen it's not like he played terrible against the bucks it's just it's everything else like apparently he's just not doing what he needs to do during practice or whatever and they're trying to maybe i guess nail that into him with a third and string designation but it's not like he's a total bust just yet or anything close to that right now and you know, at the end of the day, if, if you have to start Suofilo at right guard, there are some worse options, I guess. It, it, it's tough. Like, there's not a lot of great, fantastic guards in the NFL. So the idea, the prospect of Suofilo out there, it doesn't seem that enticing. But, you know, he still played decently at, at times when he was healthy last year. So if you have to start him because you're not confident in the others, there are worse situations. And I think there are worse scenarios where you would have to move Hopkins out of center for that
0: yeah i i I suppose i agree with you i just i I think no matter unless the Bengals make some sort of significant move that surprises us all over the next couple of weeks whether that's someone that's out there on a you know a a surprise final cut and they're able to get kind of a starting caliber guy that that is above some of the guys that they've been trotting out there mike jordan starts to continues to turn that corner um or or jackson carmen starts to get some of the things uh, at the pro level that they want to see out of him, namely consistency. And, you know, there's some other things that they're talking about with, with some issues there, but um, I don't think we're going to be week one, fully comfortable uh, whoever starting there um, at at this point. I mean, I don't, I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to be sitting there week one going, hey, we're, we're stoked on what the right guard situation looks like unless these guys continue to just blow up the preseason, play very well, and then it's kind of a, you know, hey, uh, p- pick and choose, and and I mean, that'd be a good scenario to be in, but I just don't really foresee it. I, I guess right now, I, I mean, I think we talked about this on our listener questions. Right now, I guess I would see Suofilo being the starter – And, um, you know, it just kind of seems to maybe get a little bit of that veteran presence. And then if there are issues, you know, maybe they rely on a Carmen to to come in or Mike Jordan, because he's also a a veteran now at this point. Um, That's kind of how I see things playing out. But I mean, I don't know how many guards they're going to keep. I don't know. There's just a lot of things in flux. And with no one really running away with this competition, it's just it's hard to kind of gauge exactly what they're going to do here i don't know if you have thoughts on who you think is going to start at this point in time after the preseason game now but um i'm still inclined to think they would go with a veteran um uh, the veteran presence for a little more stability early in the season
1: yeah i think unless jordan kind of builds off last saturday and looks monumentally improved over the next two games and just looks like the solution i think it they'll end up going to Suofilo as long as he doesn't also tank his opportunities. It just doesn't seem like Carmen's just ready yet. And that's fine. Like there's a whole discussion with looking at this from a draft perspective and going back a few months and with, with the whole conversation with that, but that's, that's a story for another um, show when we have more time to discuss it. I think it, it will be Spain and Suofilo with, with the, with the caveat of Jordan, not, I guess, like com- completely looking like a completely different player necessarily. Like he's still going to get the opportunities to do so. It's just, I guess, safer to bet on Suafilo making more of it and being slightly more consistent with that. And as far as who makes the team, like I think Jay Morrison of the athletic was implying that Suofilo on the, on the cutting room floor or like in danger of getting cut, yeah. which just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like financially, he obviously costs more And if he's not starting, then he's a very expensive, I guess, backup. And they're not going to cut Carmen, and they're not going to cut Smith, and they're not going to cut Spain. So you're thinking if they go with four, like it has to be Suofilo who gets cut. But if you cut him, you're cutting, I guess, your most barely most stable option at one of those spots. So I just don't really foresee that right now unless something disastrous happens with him and he looks like he completely forgot how to play football. So I would say five make it, like all five that are in, this, in the discussion right now, which may impact how many tackles they keep. It may impact if they go nine or ten. It may push them to keep a total of ten. It may be like a guy like Carmen just doesn't dress on Sundays. So I think right now five unless something substantial happens with Jordan really improving and Suofilo really stinking it up or vice versa.
0: Man, your second-round offensive lineman not dressing, um, that would be – less than ideal. Uh ceiling cat in our live YouTube chat says Sufilo looks like a backup. He was playing at the end of game 1. The problem with that John is a lot of the options there at the position look like a backup. They don't they, there's not a lot of starting true high end starting caliber showings at at that position so you know maybe maybe to your point if if they feel a guy like jordan can be a guy that could play both guard spots maybe they had they hang on to him maybe suafilo who by the way was also a guy that was brought in with jim turner um you know if if they're looking to sever all those ties there and and make this a true frank pollock line maybe that's where he gets the gets the axe there but um i I don't know man that's uh that's an interesting theory there in terms of suafilo getting cut but uh, to to that point, because he was playing out there in late in the game, I, I don't think that's
1: necessarily an indictment on where Suofilo is on the depth chart. I think it's more of, I think Paul D'Aner Jr. mentioned this, like they have a better idea of who Suofilo is right now that they don't necessarily need to see him against the yeah. first and second string team against the Bucks. They would rather yeah. see how Jordan and Carmen handle those reps compared to Suofilo. I, I don't think that his job is in jeopardy as much as what him being out there at late in the game would have it seem. Now if if that stays consistent throughout the preseason and again Jordan continues to improve, then there's a discussion to be had with that. But I don't think Suefield is necessarily in as much danger as that would indicate it.
0: Stuart Monty hurting us all here with the Frank Ragnow mention. <laughs> uh we we just had to go with the Frank Ragnow mention, huh? Um still love you though Stuart. That's uh uh, you're just bringing up painful memories, my man. Uh, Chris B just quickly, before we move on to a potential breakout player, any chance they move Riley reef to right guard and start Johnson at tackle? I do not think so. I, I think no. they I think Riley reef is here to be a tackle, a right tackle. And that is that, um, it's just a matter of where Fred Johnson fits into those plans. At least that's my take on it.
1: Yeah. They're not moving Reef to right to right guard. And I guess just real quick, just to address the Carmen whole thing, like there was news with Tevin Jenkins having back surgery, missing yeah. his entire rookie season. Um, Leon Eichenberg is injured right now with the Dolphins. I guess Sam Cosme is playing well for the Washington Football Team. There's a lot of hindsight analysis that you can do with the draft. My advice would be to not do it five months <laughs> after the draft actually happens. The the whole thing is like like the draft should be you address needs for the long term. Now guard was a need for the long-term and also for right now, which really means that the the, the, the discussion shouldn't have been which guard or which offense lineman do they draft in the first two rounds It's why was this not solved earlier? So it didn't have to be solved in the draft. And then there was the whole dialogue of, Oh, they can just draft a guy in the second round and he can start and be average. That's the best case scenario. And that's obviously what you talk about when you discuss these plans, because you're always thinking that everything is going to go Right. But not everything always does go right. And specifically with offensive linemen, it is a rarity for these guys to play at least at at an average or above average level. For the most part, it doesn't really matter what they do as rookies because they're not really that good yet. And it kind of does take them a year. And again, if Smith becomes the guy who is immediately ready to contribute at one of the spots and it's Carmen who needs a year to kind of figure out his body and figure out what he's doing, then I guess that's why you draft multiple linemen. It's why you take multiple chances. You throw multiple darts at the dartboard to see what sticks. But th- th- that's just my thoughts on that conversation because I know it kind of came up a little bit with the Jenkins news.
0: Yeah. Good point. Good point. We've got a few more minutes and uh, we're going a little long, but we're getting to a bunch. So we're going to get to a potential breakout player. We're going to give some brief thoughts on the week two game coming up and then we are going to bounce on out of here. So we are going to get to a potential breakout player. We haven't done this. Well, we did one last week, but we took a little break from it at some point. and And uh, so we got another one for you here. Who you got for us this week, John? We had Darius Phillips last week, and I i think I mentioned um, him as a more, you know, just kind of, yeah, back-end defensive player and quarterback, but um, a guy that could help out on special teams, and he, lo and behold, made me look like a genius with that 40-yard <laughs> in there. But uh, who do you have for us this week? I guess we're going to stick with the offense and make this a, an <laughs> offensive show.
1: Okay. I, j- just, to, just to keep it quick because we're running, running low on time here, Chris Evans, the running back, he – I, I know it's kind of lazy because he's number 25, but that first run, it was like a third and one, and he turned it into a six-yard game. I immediately, immediately, without hesitation, thought that is rookie Giovanni Bernard. That is the exact burst, elusiveness that I saw from a 21, 20-year-old Giovanni Bernard at the time when he was a rookie here. It was something that the Bengals offense at the time lacked for it seemed like a decade since Corey Dillon Dunl- or Reed Johnson left. It was something that they wanted to add that offseason and they immediately found out that they had it. And I remember specifically with Bernard, he made numerous plays like that, where he just broke tackles very seamlessly, very quickly, and it was a burst of energy that they had not had. G.M.R. Bernard kind of evolved over time into less of a ball carry, more of a pass protector, and more of a pass catcher, and his role kind of diminished. And then they immediately replaced him with a guy who looks like the old version, or I guess the younger version of Geo and Chris Evans. Now, the box score from Saturday wasn't pretty 25 yards on 12 carries. I think like 24 of those yards came after contact. And I think he got some criticism from offense coordinator, Brian Callahan saying he had most of the offensive negative plays. And it was interesting to see Evans be so genuine in the post game press conference. Like he was all wide eyed and all these guys look so much bigger than the guys I played in Michigan. And I, I guess it's just being a rookie in the preseason. You kind of realize that this is the next level. And some of these guys are a lot bigger and faster than what you played in college. So I hope that he kind of takes that lesson to heart but does not lose that energy, that kinetic energy and elusiveness that he has with the ball in his hands because it is fun. And I guess I I always think it's weird using rookies in in the breakout player segment because I mean, the rookies, of course, like there's nothing for them to break out of is they're just they haven't played yet. So there's only one way for him to go and that's up. But I think in terms of what Evans is like, he's like the third or fourth guy on the death chart right now. But he was also really impressive in pass protection. He gave he had like the majority of the pass blocking snaps out of the running backs, and I think that may mean something in the regular season when it comes to rotating Joe Mixon in and out of the game. I think if you have the choice between Evans and Samaj P Ryan, who I think you would trust Pete Ryan to run the ball like more with more security, albeit he did fumble in this preseason game. I think Evans comes into the conversation of a guy who can not only you know catch balls out of the backfield, but also be a reliable pass protector. If he can continue to solidify that role for him, I think his projected playing time as a rookie is going to increase compared to what we thought it was going to be maybe a month ago. He really did make a statement to me on Saturday.
0: So Again, the potential breakout players and how you want to label quote-unquote breaking out is subjective and if chris evans comes in here and is a niche guy on third down is a guy that becomes a nice little security blanket as a dump off option a slot receiver option for joe burrow on third downs on critical passing downs uh that's i mean that that's great for a guy that the the team drafted on on day three late in day three so chris evans you also have to remember john you know a, a lot of people were saying you know he needed to take different angles on his runs. And Brian Callahan, to your point, said, you know, had had a couple of public points of criticism for him. This kid only had 25 touches in college last year. So uh, there, there's a little bit of rust to knock off there. There's a little bit of a higher adjustment curve because he didn't have a ton of touches last year. You go back to 20, 2017, he had 135 rushing attempts and another 16 catches. Uh, so he was really... Utilized a lot more in prior years than he was um, this last year. Twenty-five carries there, or twenty-five total touches there, uh, with the Wolverines last year. So, I mean, this is this is another one of those high potential. Let's see what we can get out of him. Let's ease him into a role here, and and see if we can make something work. But I think they've got a, a valuable weapon. Um, they may need to go slow with it, limit the snaps and and make some uh, just kind of have a few things that he does in order to make him comfortable in the offense. But I think there's a lot of athleticism there and there's uh, there's a lot of potential there to help out this offense and help it out really right away.
1: Second leading receiver with 33 yards on four receptions as well. And we talked in the offseason about him being a natural receiver out of the backfield, a guy who can be moved out and, uh, you know, aligned in the slot. So there's value in that I think he was going to make the roster anyways and he was probably going to be active on game days because of that versatility with him. It, it, it really, it really is though, like compared to just being a rookie third, fourth string running back with minimal opportunities, you only see the field because of injuries potentially. And especially behind a running back who's projected to touch the ball damn near 300 times, I guess this season, there's not a lot of immediate you know hope for him being something significant, but you know, it's interesting to imagine how they're going to divvy out these opportunities to these three running backs. And we haven't even talked about, I mean, we talked earlier about Jack was Patrick, but his whole implication on, on the rotation as well. Like they have four guys that, you know, are probably going to make this team and, you know, Patrick is hungry for opportunities, but I don't know if he's ahead of Evans right now. I think Evans probably has more value in the passing game. And that value is going to have him ahead of Patrick, probably in the depth chart and probably, out there on some of those important snaps. So, again, this is Joe Mixon's show. Like, he's going to get the vast majority of snaps and touches and opportunities and everything. But I think in terms of what defines a breakout player, I think he has is in the process of earning, I guess, a bigger role because of things that he showed in Tampa Bay. He has to continue doing that against Washington and Miami. But right now, things are
0: looking good for him. I agree. And one of the players I liked a lot in last year's draft was Antonio Gibson, a mid-round pick by the Washington football team, who we will see this week. But there are a little bit of some similarities in terms of the versatility factor with Chris Evans, obviously not as high of a picker as uh, hyped up. As Gibson was, Gibson had a nice rookie season as well. But, um, you know, there's some there's some similarities there in the fact that, you know, you can maybe do some things as a wide receiver. You can do, so, you know, split them out a little bit and then obviously run him out of the backfield, whether it's as a traditional runner or dump off passes, that sort of thing. And you just want if he becomes a nice, like I said, a nice security blanket for Joe Burrow um, in some fashion there. I think that's going to be a nice move and and a nice role for him to potentially become a breakout guy. Good stuff, John. I appreciate you contributing with the Chris Evans pick on our potential breakout players of 21. Let's get on out of here. Maybe some final thoughts. Uh, Of course, whatever else you would like to uh, uh, impart upon us, but um, maybe some things you're looking for and uh, players you will be watching in week two as the Bengals Go to Washington to take on the Washington football team.
1: I'm really interested to see how this defense kind of builds off that performance. You know, Washington has athletes of its own on offense, and I assume Rivera is going to keep his starters out there for most, if not all, the first quarter. But, you know, how they deal with Osai's injury does that mean just more snaps for Sample, more snaps for Omani Bledsoe? Obviously, Darius Hodge is happy he's going to get more opportunities there. How does that rotation kind of get impacted with a size injury? Can they keep up that performance? Because Washington, again, has a pretty good offensive line. but They also have a rookie out there in Samuel Cosme. So it'll be interesting to see how guys go up against him. But also a guy that we didn't really talk about today, Joe Bocci, the linebacker. who's was like a third stringer right now. But I think on a couple of those plays and coverage, like he impacted at least one of those interceptions. I think he combined with Jalen Davis for, for one of the interceptions. So he could quietly convince this team to keep six linebackers instead of instead of just five so it'll be interesting to see how he kind of performs as well uh Larry and Joby's coming back into this game this is going to be his Bengals debut so he's going to be starting I want to see how he debuts it's really going to be how this defense kind of builds off of that other or that previous game yeah there's only so much I guess we can expect from the offense with Brandon Allen still going to be out there for the for the entirety of the first half so I, I guess it's just about how Jordan and Carmen continue to play in that battle. But really my interest is on the defense and some of those guys that really stepped up last week. Can they keep, can they keep that momentum, I guess, going for this week?
0: Yeah, going to definitely be focusing, at least for me, on the interior of the offensive line to see if that momentum carries, whether that's Deontay Smith, Mike Jordan, um, how the center position looks. Uh, all of that really intrigues me this, this week. And some of the lower end, lower – lower guys on the on the depth chart at the wide receiver position and maybe even tight end. I know Th- uh, Thad Moss had a nice catch last week. I'm interested to see if he gets more time and more looks and, and if he is able to do something to get onto the roster. We talked about Trent and Irwin. Is he able to continue his momentum in, in the last preseason game and in recent practices, or is Trent Taylor going to do some things that, uh, you know, start to have him leapfrog Irwin and, and some of those other wide receivers out there, I think, you know, th- there's some intriguing options, of course, the running backs too. But, you know, uh, while I'm interested in the defense, I do want to see Larry Joby play well, well in his debut. Um, I'm interested in some of those skill positions on offense, some of the guys a little bit lower on the depth chart, how they do. Um, I know it could be a mixed bag with some backup quarterbacks, third string quarterbacks, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I think some good showings from some of those guys will go a long way in, in helping them grab one of those last roster spots.
1: Trent and Irwin, Trent Taylor, I, uh, even Scott Washington. Like, he was yeah. unfortunately targeted for, like, a drop or one of those interceptions. Like, they've got nine of these guys. I'm assuming they're only going to keep at most two. On the practice squad and it looks like Irwin and Taylor have those spots kind of locked down. So how the rest of that position group kind of goes online. But Irwin and his freaking hair, man. Like it's just fun watching him ball every time he gets a chance. So but it whether it be with Shermer or with Allen, I'm looking forward to see how he continues
0: to perform. Yep. Well, Those will be some of the things we'll be looking at for week two. We'll be having all the coverage on CincyJungle.com. We'll be doing some more breakdowns on this show, whether it's the post-game show um, and obviously into some shows next week. We've got some special interviews coming down the road for you all on this program. I think you will enjoy that. So we're excited to bring that to you as well as continued coverage with the team. Anything else before we bounce on out of here, John? Got to a ton tonight, dude.
1: We did get to a ton. I think I'm all – I think I'm unfortunately all out of words, but – Friday Night Football, man. We're, we forgot got Friday Night Football back in that – at, at the very least, I know it's in Washington, but the, at the very least, it's not the same field. They actually did replace that field, and I really hope that they burnt it so that field's now in hell because it's taking the <laughs> lives of too many careers in the NFL.
0: Yeah, not, not a good field there. And uh, in case you did miss it, Joe Burrow will not be playing this week. It will be the backup quarterbacks. We don't know. Do you think Burrow plays in week three, John? I know, I know there are different opinions whether he should or should not. you think he gets snaps in week three? I think he does get snaps.
1: How many? Probably less than five, and at least four of those are handoffs, but I do think that in a as much of a controlled environment as you possibly can, it's, it's at home. It's against the Dolphins. I don't think they're going to be that worried, at least compared to a Washington front four of Chase Young and Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat. I think he does get some snaps, but it's not going to be anything that is more than just him being on the field.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think, I think we see him week three, but on a very, very extremely limited basis. Anyway, we'll talk about that as that news unfolds in the next week or so. But enjoy the game this weekend. We'll, as I said, we'll be bringing you all kinds of different coverage on the podcast channel, as well as on CincyJungle.com. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bangles podcast. Thanks for joining us live. Thanks for joining us after the fact, whether it's on your favorite audio streamer or on YouTube. Subscribe to the Cincy Jungle podcast channel. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We appreciate the support and we'll be talking to you soon. Take it easy.